Hey guys, this is Ishai Breslauer and welcome to the CRE Shark Eye Show where we discuss commercial real estate. On Mondays, we dive deep into an asset class and on Thursdays, we go into some inspirational stories for the weekend. Can't wait to start. Let's go. Hey guys, before we continue, I would like to introduce you to the seven day CRE challenge, which will introduce you to commercial real estate and will show you that anyone can do this. Also, I have the free cheat sheet for commercial real estate with the six best secrets for commercial real estate. You can download it free. Just click below or above wherever it is and get it. Let's continue. Hey guys, how are you? This is Ishai Breslauer, your host of the CRE Shark Eye Show. Today we have Tommy Brandt. Tommy, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Yushai. It's a huge pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm excited and humbled to be on this show. You, you've interviewed a lot of successful people and a lot of talent. Um, and so thank you. Awesome. So I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, you're going to hear, you know, a lot of times we have uh, people who are from the angle of the general partner of the sponsor and uh few times we had people from the private equity side or from the syndication side, but it's very important to have that because you might want to choose that side. And I've been in both. So I know exactly what it is. And Tommy's going to tell us all about it. And uh, it's very, very exciting. Thank you so much, Tommy. Again, here, I want to, you know, before we start digging into your story and your, you know, the exciting stuff, just tell us what you guys do, you know, like a two, two minute elevator pitch, what your business does there. Sure. Yeah. So I, I very recently retired from my W2 job to pursue real estate investing full time. So I'm focused on syndicating value add multifamily deals in the Southeast. So primarily Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama. I live in the Nashville MSA. So those are my markets. Um, and so I add value to general partnerships uh, via raising capital, investor relations, finding deals and boots on the ground. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here today to talk to you about, uh, you know, how W2 experience could translate to the real estate industry. Um, you know, uh, we're in an interesting time of the, the workforce. And so any other things along the way that may add value to your listeners? Tell me something beautiful. I'm looking forward. This is, uh, it sounds, already sounds exciting. Tell me something. Uh, I looked at your profile on LinkedIn and it looked like you were in electrical engineering. And, yep. you know, it's, it's interesting to me also because my son-in-law is now studying electrical engineering. Tell me something. What, let's talk about that for a second because it's somewhat related to real estate, obviously. Yeah. Talk about this for a little bit, about that career. Sure. Yeah, so electrical engineer, as a kid, I was fascinated by the, the simple thing. So the fact that you could turn on a flip a switch and it completely illuminates the, the room, right? You can, you can see after flipping on a switch. So understanding what went into that, you know, the infrastructure, the architecture, um, and then also just kind of voltage current power. Um, fundamentals like that was kind of fascinating to me. And so um, I was very um, kind of gifted in, in math and sciences. And so that played into a lot of what was needed. Um, and so the, um, I, I graduated from Georgia Tech uh, with electrical engineer. Um, I, I not really um, publicized much, but also um, data scientist um, specialization from Johns Hopkins University. So um, very, very math and science related, which I hope will help me in my underwriting. <laughs> He's a man of many talents. Soon we're going to find out they're going to put you, you're a pilot also, something like that. <laughs> it's very, very cool. Love it. I love it. Um, 
So tell me something. What happens to a guy who, and you call it a W-2 job, and you have some W-2 jobs that, uh, you know what, you got to run away from. And some W-2 jobs are fantastic. And it sounds like you had a fantastic job. Why going away from that to what you do today before we dig into what you do today? Sure. I, I love that question. Um, so the, the company I was working for was amazing. The people I was working for was amazing, right? So on, on the surface, yeah, the question is valid. Like, why leave that? Um, and so for me, um, I, I was entrenched in, in um, getting to personal uh, financial freedom, right? And so I, I find that, that, you know, talking about money was something I was interested in, having very open conversations uh, about that type of stuff uh, was fulfilling to me, right? It, it, it fed my soul. Um, and so whenever we talked about the, the W-2 side of things, um, I was in various capacities. I was um, product support. I was marketing. I was sales. Um, and I would say the, the majority of my time was spent either customer facing or in sales in some capacity. And so, but I couldn't, I couldn't tie what I was doing to my financial freedom, right? If I'm, if I'm looking what I'm doing, you know, working for an intellectual distribution manufacturer, we're servicing every industry on the planet right? From healthcare to data centers, everything you could think of, right? Because everyone needs the power um, to operate. And so um, the only way I could even think to, to line that up with financial freedom via real estate um, or just financial freedom in general, it's like maybe day trading, like stock trading and stuff like that. Because I have an in, I know like what projects some customers um, are, are trying to build. You know, I, I'm very in tune with the, the bidding process. And so I know who's wanting to build what before they actually build it. So that was the only angle I could see myself having um, as it pertains to financial freedom. And it was, I was kind of living two lives because I didn't want to do that, right? I learned early on is like, if I'm doing anything in the stock markets, I'm not going to do much past index funds, probably. You know, um, it's, it's too many P&Ls to keep up with. It's too much um, trying to hedge values and get ahead of the, the curves and stuff like that. But real estate was, I mean, it was easier for me to, to understand. Um, and so- yeah, it was, it, was, it was trying to live two lives and I was struggling with that. You know, something for some people, you know what, I, I look at it, the challenge is to really understand the numbers, to get to know the numbers, to understand, you know, and to read a performa, understand what's IRR. For you, it was probably more of a walk in the park comparing to other people because of your, you know, everything else that you do. So you have to just learn what it is and bam, you know it and no problem. But going back to the story behind it, Okay. How did it happen? And what inspired you to actually do that? Tell us a little bit, you know, the, the fun stuff. How did it happen? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I guess uh, I'll go a little bit further back, but um, we, we talked about my, my W2 history, but um, I'll go back to just me growing up and, and just kind of that go would ahead. Be like yeah, the, yeah. the foundation of uh, the, the more, the juicier, the better. <laughs> for sure yeah uh, so I, I grew up playing sports um, I started at the age of five swimming competitively um, so as a result you know, growing up I was very accustomed to hard work at a very early age and so um, the result was a, a work ethic um, where I knew the results that I was going to get out of something were directly proportional to the effort I was putting in so uh, it helps that I had a big brother that is a little bit more than a year older than me. And I wanted to be his, his peer. I wanted to be on par with him. So he was the, the white rabbit I was chasing. Um, so that, that's a little bit as far as the background in my upbringing. Um, I had amazing parents along the way and they supported me and um, they, they were great. My first exposure to real estate was actually in my college years. So I, I was working odd jobs for a summer. I worked for a contractor who serviced mobile homes. 
And so that's repairs, landscaping, making them rent ready. We say we service several houses in middle Georgia. Um, so Macon and Warner Robins, if you're familiar. Um, so it's a lot of cutting grass and the, the summer heat in Georgia. If you're not familiar, it's hot. Um, there, there's a I lot am of familiar. <laughs> I used to live in Memphis. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. You're there. Don't tell me hot. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. And so there's a lot of cleaning units um, that are post eviction. So there's mountains of trash. There's used diapers. There's hypodermic needles. There's rotten everything in the fridge. Um, as a result, like, you know, I, I get into real estate and I'm not scared of anything that I see on the MLS at that point. I'm like, this doesn't compare to X that I saw, or this doesn't compare to that time that, you know, this other thing I saw. So fast forward to 2011, um, I bought a house. It was uh, my, my first house via short sale. It was a four bed, two bath. Um, to keep it brief, it needed work. It need like every square inch needed updating. There, there was a pool in the back um, that was just a black lagoon. And I saw nothing but like the finished product. Um, I was like, this is going to be an amazing bachelor pad uh, and it's going to be great. So it was a slow live in flip. Uh, I rented a room to a coworker. Um, I had it paid off in eight years and um, I sold it in 2020. And so the, the, there's a bit of a funny story as to why we sold it. Um, but my fiance, now wife, um, at the time, um, you know, we, we sold some things just to make like the uh, rip off the bandaid for the final payment. It's just because I wanted to say, I don't have any debt. I have zero debt. That was, that was going to be a major milestone for me. And so we paid off the, the house in October, 2019. And um, before the end of November, um, my fiance said, I found the perfect house on Redfin or on Zillow. She's like, it's got, it's got this and this and this. It's perfect. We can have guests over. And I said, you couldn't let us be debt free for a month. We couldn't even go 30 days being debt free. <laughs> and you just wanted to pile it back up again. So um, that, that, that's my fun story of how we got there, but we sold that house, um, liquidated it. And then we used the capital as down payments to, uh, three single family homes. So they, they were base hits. Uh, I bought them off the MLS. They were retail, but they cash flowed. Um, and that was, that was in 2020 and the start of 2021. So I found that I thoroughly enjoyed the business aspect of real estate. So managing the portfolio, creating the LLC to hold the properties, you know, analyzing the projections versus the actuals, moving money around etc. I got a kick out of it. So um, after these three units, um, I, I took a pause to kind of reflect on, on what I had done so far. And it's like, I, I could have used more capital to buy more single family homes. Um, you know, 200, I could pay $200,000 a door for renting for 1400. Those are base hits in my market. Um, and then maybe rely on the compound effect to take hold and all that stuff. But, you know, or I could buy something, i.e. apartments, um, that's $75,000 per door has the same amount of cash flow, the same amount of principal pay down, um, a reduced risk profile, et cetera. Um, and since then, I've been focused on the multifamily ecosystem. Where I could play there. Tell me something. It's, uh, I love that story. Let's, let's focus for a second, you know, on the part of, you know what, let, let's, first of all, just to clarify the story. Okay. Uh, um, when was the point from all this whole thing where you actually quit your job to do what you do today? Sure. So um, I quit my job um, 11 days ago. Wow. So, so pretty recent. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. Yeah. The, so the, the fun story behind that. I'm oh, sorry. You the, no, the fun ahead, story behind ahead. that. No, no, please. Shoot. Um, 
I put in my hundred day notice on my 35th birthday. Um, so that, that's, that's my How fun old story are you? to say. I'm 35. 35. All right. Uh, good age. Excellent age. <laughs> For sure. Excellent age. Tell me something. Um, let, let's dwell a little bit into the, into the strategies. Okay. You, you went, and this is interesting before we go into the, you know, the whole nitty gritty, you know, multifamily, uh, acquisition strategy. I want, I want just to take it back to your story because you started with a single family home going to three single family homes and then boom, shifting into multifamily. And you told us pretty much, but I just want to make the emphasis and everybody who's watching or listening to just sort of a pause, you know, sometimes in life you have to like, and this is, I'm big with that. I'm like, I'm not anti single. Some people make a lot of money from single family homes and do it their whole life. And great. Awesome. And it's for them. It's great. But I'm always preaching why commercial real estate much better than single family homes and stuff. And obviously multifamily falls into that criteria. Uh, tell us a little bit what happened in your head and let's go over it piece by piece with numbering with processing, with psychology, with everything of why single family homes became multifamily. For sure. Yeah. And I had the opportunity to go to a dealmaker live in Texas a couple weeks ago. That's where I met um, Brandon Turner and I got a selfish selfie uh, with him there. Um, and, and it's funny, the, uh, everyone else is on the, a similar journey as mine, right? They, they could have a um, hundred single family homes. They could have a thousand single family homes. They could have one single family home, but eventually people come to the same conclusion of multifamily is the best way to scale. Um, you can scale your business, operate effectively, and then also you can scale the investment. Um, so you're, you're, you're scaling both ends of the spectrum. And so the, the ability to grow is greatly accelerated. Amazing. Um, so once you got into multifamily, you said, okay, I have three single family homes. What the size, how many units you said I'm going to go after? Yeah, that, that's been an evolution. I'll say, uh, the more, the more about that. that I've, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I'll preface it with, um, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. So last year I read 60 books. Um, this year I've already read 30. So I, I'm, I'm a large consumer and advocate of, of knowledge. And, uh, and, and one of the tips I have on here at the end, I'm happy to share is kind of learning how to learn. So kind of brain training your brain. Um, I think that's worth investing some time in, but we'll talk about that later. Um, and so I'm, I'm reading all these books in the single family real estate, right? I started out stocks and rich dad, poor dad, and then I got a fire under my, my tush uh, in real estate. And I was like, this is very evident to me that you can add value um, in real estate in a way that you can't do with any other asset class. And so um, I, I read all the books that you probably could on single family. And then I just hit a wall. Um, and then I started reading, reading about um, raising capital, um, multifamily millions, and I eventually got a hold of Joe Fairless's best ever book, which is like the, the, the master blueprint of all things uh, syndicating apartment deals. And so, um, and then also the kind of the, the more I learned about it, the more I realized it's a, it's a team sport, right? So I don't have to do everything alone. I can do one part of it and add value to the deal. Um, and so just that aspect of like not, not having to own everything um, from soup to nuts was very appealing to me. Um, and that, that allowed me, it like, goes back to being able to scale, right? I could, I could start slow or I could start fast, right? I could start whatever speed I'm comfortable with and, and still grow if I'm doing, getting 1% better every day. But, the, okay, great. But 
about the amount of units, meaning obviously, what was the first deal that you went after? How many sure. units? Um, so I, I haven't, I haven't um, been a co-GP on any multifamily deals today, but the, the ones I'm investing in as a limited partner, um, there's a 100 plus unit in Kentucky right now. Um, if That's amazing. I, I, would say, I would say before that, um, I was looking, I had a very immature mindset. I was like, I, you know, I need to start small. I need to look at an eight unit, a 16 unit and just get comfortable with it. But that was when I also had the mindset of that I needed to do everything myself. Exactly. Um, so whenever you start realizing you can, you can play a, a very dedicated role, a much needed role and, and still participate in a deal Then I was like, why can't I, you know, operate in a, in a three to $5 million deal. That's my first one, right? You know, 50 units, 50 to hundred units. Um, I shy away from the, the 150 plus cause you start getting into corporate money. Um, but there's not, why couldn't I start with a 55 unit? If I, if I'm partnering with an asset manager, if I'm partnering with a loan sponsor and I'm bringing some capital to the deal, it's like, what, why can't, why can't I do that? Uh, and my conclusion was that there's no reason you can't. You know something, this is so interesting because you are, to me, you're a bit of a different animal as we call, uh, because you have the talent and the to get your hands dirty. You have the knowledge, you have the experience, let's call it experience, that's the best word. Because when you, you know, going back to your first story, you said that you started going into when you saw all the diapers and all these graphic things and whatever, and you said, I'm not scared. And then you went into the single family homes, which is a completely different type of deal where you have to do everything yourself pretty much. And you have to become a very handy type of a person. Uh, which is, by the way, for those who want to be hands-on, this is the way to go, obviously. For those who are not greatly, are not so handy, like this guy here, okay? Uh, it, the best way to go is multifamily, obviously. But for you, you could have done things yourself. What caused you to say and become humble and say, listen, I don't have to be the big honcho. I can be the guy who brings the capital. I can be the syndicator and actually make money. And I don't have to do all that stuff, even though I can, even though I'm capable of learning it, even though I'm capable of, you know, like getting into the, you know, the details and going to see what I have to do uh, within the property. How was that? Yeah. Yeah. Happy to talk through that. Um, real estate and syndication in general, like there's, um, I found that my, my skill set that I developed in my W2 job, right, could have translated to to do the full spectrum of syndication, right? I could have managed the managers, been a good, okay, you know, okay asset manager. Um, I, you know, I've worked in spreadsheets um, way too much in my last role. And so underwriting was probably a short putt for me. Um, investor relations probably best suited my marketing and sales experience, right? I, I feel like I could have done well in any arena um, and the focus is where I needed the most help. But to answer your question of the, how did I, you know, coming from um, a long line of, you know, getting my hands dirty, so to speak, how did I come to the conclusion of, I don't need to do that anymore? Um, I learned that in the, actually in the, the single family um, houses. So I got some bruises early on where um, I closed on two houses on the same day. And I was like, I read all these books. I'm going to be a landlord. It's going to be great. Um, and, and I had to let like the inquiries bubble up over lunch and get to them in the, in the evenings. And I was just, I'd just taken a new role at the time. And I was like, this isn't sustainable for me. So really early on, I hired a property manager and, and that, that alleviated a lot. Um, before that, um, I was making the units rent ready. And so I was like, I'm, I'm looking forward to working with my hands. I'm going to change out some fluorescent tube lighting with recessed lighting. It's going to be nice. I'll, I'll patch some drywall and then it'll, it'll be beautiful. Um, 
but I'm still managing that same thing where I'm trying to perform this new role with excellence and I'm, I'm probably working 50 to 60 hours a week is the norm. And so finding time after work is, is a challenge. Finding time on the weekends, it's like, all right, let's go to Home Depot, get the part. Oh crap, we got the wrong part. Oh crap, it's a pandemic. I can only get it online. Um, so I ended up, uh, it, it took me about a month and a half to do what was, what should have been a simple make a unit rent ready with just some, some touch up and paint. Um, and that's when I realized I'm working in my business. I'm not working on my business. And so going into multifamily syndication, I'm trying to be really, it's like, it's like tension. I'm trying to be really mindful of, of activities where it's like, is this, is this a low dollar per hour item that I'm working on? Or am I, you know, am I working on whatever adds the most value to my business? And so I ask myself that all the time to, to maintain priority and focus on, on what I need to do to build my business. Tell me something strategy wise. This is everything you say makes so, so much sense. Uh, strategy wise, Going into multifamily, which we do right now, you're getting into a deal, um, requires to have investors, right? You have to be able to bring investors in. That's the beauty of syndication. At the same time, this is the challenge of syndication. Tell me something. How do you do that? How did you find the investor base? How did you create people to come around you? You're still doing it or you're still creating it. Tell us a little bit about this learning process that you're going through, went through everything. Uh, this is very interesting. For sure. Yeah. So on, I think on anyone's first deal, you're, you're going to be leaning heavily on your friends and family, um, but they've got to be prepared for that, that type of discussion, right? It's, it's one thing, you know, for your mom to be like, Hey honey, I'll, I'll support you in anything that you do. You know, I'm, I'm an accredited investor, uh, you know, but it's another thing for, for her to understand, okay, mom, this, this is a five year holding period. These are the, your types of returns. This is, you know, and showing you, walking you through like a sample deal package of this is a, an example of a property. These are your ranges of returns. Here's your annualized, here's your IIR, uh, here's your cash on cash. And then here's your, your total return on investment. Um, so, being deliberate and being prepared for those discussions is kind of what you need to do before you even have those discussions with your family. Um, once you do do a rollout to your family, I, I highly suggest using it as a way to build your list. So just kind of like an, an introduction email that says, Hey everyone, um, this is, you know, this is what I've been up to for the past five years. Oh, by the way, I, I built a business for myself. I stopped working full time. Um, and, and I'm now um, syndicating real estate deals. Um, and so, and I usually just kind of pause there and, and I ask, you know, do you want to keep up with what's going on in my life? And, and that's like their mechanism to subscribe. So that's kind of what I would say as far as the introduction and, and letting your family and friends know outside of your family and friends. I think the, the question is, how do you raise money? How do you find investors? Um, that's like the, probably the more sexy question um, that a right. lot of people are drawn to because they're like, yeah, I get it. Friends and family next. Uh, and so with that one, um, it, it really is just talking to everyone in your, in, in, in your job, letting them know what you do. If I was smart, I would have um, started more as a, a focusing on capital raising while I was at my W2 job. Um, you know, my customer avatar is a 35 to 65 year old working professional. Um, by then, if you're 35, you should have, you know, with that uh, dollar range for the minimum amount on most deals in your 401k, you can have a custodian transfer it over and still roll it into real estate. And so um, really it comes down to um, you want to be aggressively networking as much as possible. If you want to do it well, you can do it slower or fast, however you want, but um, letting everyone you know work with 
that what you're doing and what you're interested in and that you're, you're trying to, to establish financial freedom for yourself. I think that alone will generate curiosity. You can't shove it down anyone's throat as far as say, hey, I, I know how to make money. Give me your money. I'll make it work for you. That's, that's not going to work, right? It's got to be a discussion. It's got to be a dialogue and, and interests have to align. Um, outside of your job, there's like the, what I'll call the creative networking groups, right? You can go to car shows, horseback riding, right? There's high net worth activities if you want to get focused directly on that. Um, but even like going to the gym, do, do things that, that you would do, but just be, be open and vocal about it. Tell me something. Um, these are great tips, by the way. Excellent tips. I love it. Um, when you're going and you, you know, you becoming a syndicator, you becoming a guy who's looking for deals. Before we get to the sponsors issue, which we're going to get, let's hold on with that for a second, because that's a whole topic of its own. Um, in terms of your deal strategy, you have to sort of come, you know, take a pen and paper and write down, okay, what am I going for? Retail, um, uh, uh, triple net lead, you know, like what, what type of office buildings, Hotels, multifamily, 200 plus, core plus, value add. What did you do? Meaning, what was your decision? What type of deals are you going after? What is your, you know, here's what I'm going after. And you tell everybody about, find me those sponsors who have those deals. We're going to talk about sponsors, as I said, in a second. So what type of deals? Sure. Yeah. So I'm focused on uh, any value add opportunities for, for the B or C asset class um, under a hundred units. Um, and so I'll just save a few places, but in, anywhere between Louisville and Huntsville. So that's Louisville, Bowling Green, Clarksville, Nashville, Columbia, Huntsville are kind of the, the, the major tertiary markets and primary markets. There's also why, that, why there um, that, that is all along the, the interstate that takes you from uh, Alabama to, to Louisville. And, and those are, um, they're either great primary markets or they're growing second uh, tertiary markets. So. so you decided these are the location I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for up to 100 units. I'm assuming anywhere between 20, 30 to 100, right? Mm -hmm. Am I in ballpark? Yep. And, uh, and okay, great. And I'm going to go to a value add, BC class, beautiful, excellent, great. Now, you have to find sponsors that have those deals. So yeah. what are your criterias as per what type of sponsors you want to find and work with? Because sure. you have to come to your investors and say, hey, guys, here's my partner. Okay, who is it? <laughs> For yeah. sure. Yeah, and so the, I guess maybe it's a, it's a pro tip I could put out there, but the best way that, that I find people um, has really, or early on at least, um, has been, I went on a lot of the daily podcasters. So um, Joe Fairless does a daily podcast um, and Whitney Sewell also does a daily podcast. And so excellent, excellent um, you can just, right. yeah, they, they have the, the daily podcast. And so with that, they have daily guests, right? They have high volume guests on there. So um, I would just, they're, they're pretty short. So I would just go on there and listen. And then if I liked the message or I liked the skill set that they had, um, whether it's content creation or managing assets, or uh, finding deals off market, stuff like that. Um, I would find out how I like them and then add them on LinkedIn, say, thank you for your story. And then uh, eventually I'd come across people that overlap with my market. So I, I know two operators in Kentucky. I know um, one very um, well-known one uh, here in uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is where I'm at. And um, uh, through that and the, the local multifamily meetups, I've met some other uh, sponsors as well, some other full stack syndicators. 
Um, so I'll probably have about three total in Tennessee. Um, and then there's, I guess th there's one also that services Huntsville, but they're not local to Huntsville. So. Awesome. And what, what are your criteria about uh, sponsors? They have to be like this, like that meaning what do you decide uh, in terms of who you're going after? For sure. I, I primarily, I would like them to have some asset management experience. Um, and, and maybe that's, that's part of it because the, uh, I would say in terms of an asset manager, I do want multiple years of experience or multiple deals, right? I know, I know one gentleman who, who has, you know, two to three years experience, which will, as asset manager, which will say is low, but he's got double digit number, number of deals, right? right? So I would say that easily compensates for the, the little time spent um, as an asset manager in terms of the, the I guess, what, what I like to see, I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm getting savvy on the underwriting and I can call BS on some people's numbers. Um, and so we're getting to the point where it's like, I'm, I'm scrutinizing their numbers and their pitch decks. Um, I try to reverse engineer them with, with my syndicated deal analyzer and, and see if I can come close to, to their raise or their types of returns based on their expenses, et cetera. There was one that I met from, from a reputable resource where the numbers in the pitch deck just didn't make sense. Um, we're, we're set to, to connect here in a little bit and that's going to be, you can believe that's going to be one of the things I, I um, ask about, but, um, for, I mean, it seemed like an actual like math error that made it to a pitch deck. And I was like, I don't know, but I'm also not in a position where I can claim that either <laughs> compared to his experience. But so, so I can add to that. First of all, it's, I love what you say. I love what you say because I can add to that and say that um, I was sitting on both chairs on the chair of the GP on the sponsor and the, and, and the chair of the LP. And uh, as the LP, when you check on the, the, when you check on the, the GP, the sponsor, you want to make sure that they know what they're doing and they have the right experience. They have the right track record. They know what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. But having said all that, let's say you've done all that. You've done the due diligence on the sponsor. You know that they know what they're doing, meaning you have a pretty good picture of it. You've found out that they're not crazy and <laughs> they're human beings and, and these are future good partners, et cetera, all these things that you look for in a, in a sponsor. Then comes the deal. And exactly like you said, you look in the underwriting and you're saying, is it working? Is it not working? Does it make sense? Doesn't it make sense? And from my experience, and I'm throwing it in, meaning to, to sort of strengthen what you said, that when you come to that, you can't just rely on their underwriting. You have to make sure that you're obviously getting it from them. You don't have to do it from scratch, but you have to look at it as if as you're doing it from scratch and take all their numbers, not for, not for granted. And it sounds a little rough. It sounds a little like harsh for people who are just getting into it and say, oh, so I'm, I, I want to be this guy's partner. I, I'm telling him, get me in, I'll get you money. And then I'm like sort of telling him, oh, you're wrong. You, you're not doing your job right and all that stuff. The answer is no, don't be scared. Because eventually, and I've been there, uh, if you're doing the job right and you're looking at the underwriting, you're looking at the numbers and details, in the end of the day, they're going to thank you because you might find things that they didn't. Maybe his analyst did not see something that you might see. So it's very, very important that you'll be able to come back and say, I found something. Tell me what you think about it. I'm not saying that you're wrong or right. I just want to make sure. And if you're wrong, it's all good. I just want to make sure that we are on the right track. That gives you a better position as a, as, a, as a shotgun. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. 
did you have, did you have a feeling when you spoke to your sponsor, meaning the potential sponsors, uh, that kind of conversation? How how did that go? Sure, you know that well. It's, it's something I ran past a couple other people first. I was like, you know, for the example was in a ten year hold the IRR was higher than the AAR. And I was like, well, for that long to hold, I would expect the AAR to be, to be lower. And I've edited out with a couple of people offline, um, but I'll be bringing it to the uh, sponsor's attention later this week. Um, and, and we'll see if we can get past it. My, my fear is, uh, you know, if, if I'm primarily a capital raiser and I'm leveraging other people's deals, I, I still have to know that the numbers make sense. I can't just be like, hey, I like the guy, you know, and, and he's got decent track rate. Let's go with him. Because we're, um, we're in an interesting time where, you may come across some individuals that are just making deals for the acquisition fees. And that terrifies me. If I'm, if I'm trying to bring other people's money to that type of deal, I would, that, that's like what I want to avoid. Um, I was like, I want it to be a good deal. I want us buying on a good basis. I want it to, you know, I, my strategy is to buy on discount because it's mismanaged and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, I'll leave it there. Love that thought. Um, when you come to an, a GPLP strategies, um, tell me how you like it. It doesn't have to be this deal, but how would you like to see the splits and the, you know, um, the logic that you learned, meaning from all the books that you've read and all the people that you spoke, you know, spoken with in terms of the logic of what type of fees you're willing to take or what type of, uh, or what matters to you, what matters to you less and all that stuff. You, you must have some, what of a philosophy. Uh, can you share that with us? For sure. Yeah. And I guess fundamentally, I would say that I would, there needs to be some interest alignment between the operators and the investors. Right. So, and, and maybe I'm biased, but I don't, I don't see having an issue with acquisition fees and disposition fees and asset management fees. Right. Because you're, you're committed to, to driving, you know, the, the close of acquiring the asset or the, you know, the close of right. disposing the asset or refinance or what have you. So, um, I'm seeing a, a couple instances where some people are waiving that and, and at least from my, maybe from an investor's perspective, they're like, yay, it's less, less fees. But from my perspective, I'm like, what? They have like no incentive. Uh, there was a deal I watched yesterday where there were zero acquisition fees and zero disposition fees. And the only thing they were charging was asset management. And I wanted to like tap them on the shoulder after the meeting, like, how are you doing this? Like, how does this make sense? You just have five people on a webinar and they're all doing it for free. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's, somewhere else in the deal or what have you, but um, right. that's a red flag to me. Whenever someone's like, we're not charging any fees. It's like, that tells me you're not motivated. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, but um, I'll leave that at that. Um, as far as the fees go, um, in terms of like partnership structures and, and who gets what, what percentage, right? Um, the, the dream would be if there was a, a deal finder, an asset manager and a capital raiser, right? That would be 33%. Um, I'm more or less down the middle for everyone, but what I would love for people to come to the deal with is the mindset that I'm going to contribute more than 33% to earn that 33%. So, so not just, I don't want people, I don't want to build a team that's doing the bare minimum. I want people that are problem solvers. I want, I want a team that, that, that are, are willing to go further than is required to, to get the deal done and take care of the, the investors that are funding this. So. I love that. Tell me something. Now that we are getting into the close, I love your thoughts. I love your thought process. I love your motivation. It's great. Um, tell me something, how can people find you, whether they are sponsors or they are uh, potential investors who want to consider working with you? Uh, how can they find you? 
For sure. Yeah, the, there's going to be two, two great places to find me. Um, one is on LinkedIn. Um, it's Tommy Brandt, T-O-M-M-Y, B as in boy, R-A-N-T as in Tommy. Um, so Tommy Brandt on LinkedIn. Uh, I've also got, uh, I've started a platform, uh, tbcapgroup.com. Um, there's no vowels in group, so it's tbcapgrp.com. Um, so feel free to sign up on the subscriber list if you want to keep in touch and, and um, get newsletters and the blog articles that are coming out. So, and you guys, that, and you guys that are listening to Tommy right now, look at the links above, below, uh, wherever you're watching. And if you're in the po podcast format, exactly. If you're on the podcast, you just point it up for the people who are listening to podcasts. You just made with their fingers going up. <laughs> so that um, uh, uh, those who are listening to the podcast, obviously look at the text and find the links and click on them to find Tommy and to work with him and to, and to find ways to do business with him. Tommy, your story is inspiring and I love it. It's great. And I wish you really all the best. And of course, we'll keep in touch and we'll see uh, what can be done together. And you guys that are listening, thank you so much for listening to us today. And I'll see you guys in the next show. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. Hey, guys, thanks for joining me in this CRE Shark Eye show. I hope you enjoyed it. And go subscribe, download, do whatever you guys need to do. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves.